MP, it's our final event of the year. Oh, it's all a bit sad, Bretto, but after four big events for 2018, we are going out with a bang with one more wellness base camp, and the location for this one is regional Victoria, the great town of Bendigo awaits. Oh, and how's this for a lineup, MP? Bendigo will be rocking with the rock star of wellness, Damien Christoph. The art of self-love angel herself, Kim Morrison, hits the stage. As will the natural nutritionist, Steph Lowe. And I'll tell you what, Steph's presentation at the summit on fasting was a showstopper. You'll be there, Bretto. I'll be there too. And Wendy Stewart from Wendy's Way will be there to share her inspirational story, which really did go off at the Wellness Summit earlier this year. It's Saturday, October 27 at the beautiful All Seasons Resort Hotel in Bendigo and tickets are selling fast. Two for one tickets for this one day of inspiration, information and empowerment are available at thewellnessbasecamp.com. That's right, folks. Get your two-for-one tickets at thewellnessbasecamp.com before they run out and then the price goes up. Finish your year of wellness in style at The Wellness Base Camp in Bendigo, Saturday, October 27. Tickets at thewellnessbasecamp.com. TheWellnessCouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. Welcome to Back Chat, exploring the five pillars of health, thinking, moving, eating, sleeping, and also your neurology with Dr. Paul Bogamo and Dr. Kim Fenton. Welcome to Back Chat. My name is Paul Bergamo, and it's great to be here in our next podcast. Back Chat is about being your best. It does this by exploring the five pillars of health. It refers to being your best in thinking, moving, eating, sleeping, and also in neurology. Today's back chat will cover the pillar of thinking. Tell me today, as always, it's a great pleasure to introduce my fellow co-host, Kim Fenton. G'day, Kim. How are you going? Good, Paul. How are you? Very good. Now, I know you've had a strenuous day today, and I know with all the responsibilities you do as Chief Commercial Officer of this national corporate entity that you work for, but one thing that's always fascinating about about uh, yourself with my, from, my, from my end is the fact how you balance what you do in the workplace, in addition to being a great mum to Kian and Geneva. How do you do it? Well, it's not easy. It's a challenge for all parents, I think, Paul, but I guess I have a village around me and those people assist me in achieving my goals and loving my children and, and giving us all the support that we need. So I'm very lucky. What about you? You manage a busy chiropractic. Practic practice with 10 staff, and you're also president of the Cairo Association of Australia. How do you do it? Well, it's, uh, yes, well, village is an interesting term. I suppose we look at support structures around us as well, with a uh, very supportive wife and family, and, and great people at the clinic, and great people through the association as well that, that, uh, can understand sometimes when you've got challenges, I think, so that you can, so that when things come up that way, you can still. Have maybe a pause from from work if need be, uh, and then get back back on the on the boat straight away when you need to, as well as other situations where you can galvanise those around you and try and bring people with you as well. I suppose it's a bit of a a two way street, and uh, and I found that's been something that we've I suppose tried to learn over twenty years in practice to try and refine and improve. But it's really an art form, isn't it? Really. Oh, it is absolutely, yes. It's something that's really uh, something that we can all learn from. And tonight, especially, we've got our person here that we're going to be interviewing, Bianca, Bianca Dobson, who's a chiropractor, who's going to go through her life and how what she's done professionally as well as managing it with her personal 
components as a mother and uh, wife. Bianca is a chiropractor who graduated from RMIT in 2000 and started to practice as a chiropractor in private practice then. In 2005, Bianca obtained her diplomat of the American College Board of Neurology after being part of the very first Australian cohort for the Carrick Institute in the US. She's since then further become certified in neurological integration system and presents NIS seminars to health professionals around Australia. Support people live their best life. Bianca also lives uh, has completed a certified life coach qualification and is passionate about supporting women in practice as she's on the Victorian Women in Chiropractic Committee as well as the National Committee. She currently practices in Melbourne and shares life with her husband, Matt, seven-year-old son and four-year-old daughter who teach her life lessons on a daily basis, the most profound personal growth work to date. Hey, Bianca, how are you going? Hi, Paul. I'm great. Hi, Kim. Hi, Bianca. How are you feeling? Yeah, really good, really good. It's um, it's interesting listening to you both describe how you both manage life and I think that village and the support, I think that's a common theme. Absolutely. So, I mean, it's a shock, isn't it, to become a mother for the first time because you've got so much going on in your life and you don't even know what you do with your time until you have a child and you go, where did all my time go? How did you prepare yourself for motherhood the first time and how did motherhood change your practice? Yes, I think uh, for me, Kim, um, preparing for motherhood, I was uh, in a very uh, very linear and logical way in preparation um, and that might give you a bit of an insight into my neurology, Paul, of uh, how my brain functions. <laughs> yes, yes. And I think everyone will tell you that's probably the exact opposite way that um, preparing for birth should be. So I think I was I was looking after myself physically. I was getting regular adjustments. Uh, I was doing prenatal yoga. I was doing Pilates. I ticked all the boxes. And from a business point of view, I'd hired the new associate. Um, I had I had a, a, an idea. Looking back, I had a very basic idea of the financial commitment that my practice would have to do every week to keep things going. And I, I, I really feel truly blessed. I had an amazing chiropractic partner who was in the practice and remaining in the practice. So I thought I'd have some time out, have this beautiful baby of mine, and maybe, you know, 10 weeks, 12 weeks later, I'll just pop in for a Saturday morning shift because I love what I do. I love my patients. Um, and then the birth happened. <laughs> <laughs> and life changed. Forever. <laughs> oh, yes, I hear you there. <laughs> yes. There you yes. go. Absolutely. So you didn't make it in on your Saturday morning practice? I did not. <laughs> <laughs> it, was, um, it was about seven months later, yeah, my the, the new associate got married and was going on a European honeymoon and that's what – at the time, it dragged me back into practice. I, um, I physically wasn't ready. I, mentally, I was exhausted. <laughs> and it just, this headspace that I was in um, was very different to what I imagined coming back into practice would be for me. It's certainly a big life change in regards to uh, having a child. So your children are still pretty young, though, Bianca, aren't they? They're four and seven yeah. years of age, that's correct? Yeah. Right, yeah, four and seven. So how do you manage the different roles? Because, you know, when we introduced you, we talked about your roles in committees, business, practice, and then being a mum as well. What What are some uh, little 
secrets you can share with our backcheck audience about what, how you how you manage all this? I think I think that support touching on support already with um, the both of you. That's the that's my that's my biggest. Um, well, it's the only way that I get through doing what I do. I think I've got amazing support from my husband, um, and we're very fortunate to have our, both of our parents around and um, family. But the other part of it that I think is really important that I've had to learn um, is really truly understanding what's important to me and what has been fulfilling for me as a as a person, as a woman, as a mum and as a practitioner and really defining what those values are for me and really putting aside what I think I should be doing or how I should be running practice or how I should be showing up in, in our profession as, you know, Paul, you, you've got a big role in that as well. So I think being really selective on what I choose to invite into my life now and for it to have a very clear benefit for me, and that's been a hard thing to learn, that it does have to be uh, right for me first, then for my family, and at this stage of life, then for my career. It's, it's really interesting, Bianca, yeah. what you say there, you know, and I'll just, just, just a bit further to this, you know, is it sort of you coming to sort of the, asking the question why, you know, why you do what you do? Is it sort of a, a sort yeah. of self-philosophy type thing that, or sense of purpose type situation yeah. you've sort of come to and then and that's given you a bit of that that ability to to move forward is that what you're referring to there absolutely and I don't think I realized that for a long time I don't think I actually got it yeah but it, it really is the why and actually acknowledging that in in the way that I function best part of that is in being a contribution to either my profession or to other women or it doesn't always have to be um, just for the benefit of a career or a business. And I think that was something that I, I kind of had fallen into. It should be always profitable. It should always be an advantage. And I've learned that I function really well when I can give back. I get I get a lot out of it. And the side effect is I get to give back. So it's been a big learning. It's terrific. Have you had any challenges, Bianca, with being a woman in business, uh, specifically a woman in, in private practice? What do you think is the biggest challenge women in private practice face today? Kim, from, from what I see and the you know what I've experienced, and I guess being involved in the Women in Chiropractic Committees and coming across a lot of um, women, either associates running their own practices, having associates of their own in their practice, uh, I think biggest challenge is um, being afraid of stepping out of how it's always been done or finding kind of having the courage to find a way that works best for that woman and, and I guess this applies to everyone not just women um, the, the difference from how I have learned how to structure my uh, practice how if the very you know very simple details like the hours that I practice now are very different to what I thought uh, a business, a practice should function. And I think women, we do have in the way we choose to raise our families or the, the role we choose to play in our families, and I guess I acknowledge everyone is really different in that, but not every uh, female chiropractor or female businesswoman, it might not work to, 
for them to have, you know, three nights a week in the practice where they finish at 8 p.m. of a night. Um, it might not serve their family to have, you know, four mornings a week in the practice. So I, the way that I, that has worked for me and what I see in, in, in other women's practice, just what is a successful practice for you or what is a successful role for you and just to continue to keep refining it and changing it until it really works for you and not being afraid to keep making shifts and changes. Try this for now not working try something else it sounds like you know having a bit of a vision and trying to navigate towards that vision understanding i suppose that sometimes we may not get there we vary we may move to one side then we may go back a step then go forward a step but i think i don't know what you think kim as well you know with friends and colleagues that you work with and friends that you have sometimes those friends that perhaps are that are struggling a little bit, maybe in this sort of situation? Are there any sort of common themes, Kim, that you can identify? Because I think sometimes friends of mine who are struggling this, they, they, they sort of are living day by day and not looking at maybe the big picture where they want to go to, and that sometimes will lead to them struggling more so. I think that what Bianca was talking about before with regards to the pressure of thinking of what should be done, I, I, I know a lot of people who struggle with that, particularly women, and it's not that men don't struggle with that. I'm sure that they do, but I feel like women have a, a pressure on them to do it all and, uh, you know, be exactly like the person before them. And so there is this pressure of I've got to be the best, I've got to be better, I have to do exactly what was done before and more. It's that kind of pressure that we we do carry on our shoulders and I think that a lot of women that I know struggle with that, very much so. But you're right, as you get older, you start to learn to play the game your way. And it's not that you, whether you're going to work part-time or full-time or whatever those things are, it's still about playing the game your way and learning how to negotiate properly. So I suppose that's in the context of, of a role change from being someone maybe like in Bianca's situation in a, in a career and then suddenly this massive role change in the mm. sense of moving into being a mother and then, you know, and trying to balance those those competing yeah. interests in some degrees, I suppose, and and seeing it from uh, different lenses before and after the event of, be- of becoming a mother. Was, yeah, okay. And not be expecting it, not expecting it to be the shock that it is. Yes. So being a little bit unprepared perhaps. So, so Bianca, <laughs> when, we, when we talk about this a bit further, I mean, you know, when is the right time to really uh, start a family when you've got a career? I mean, it's a... It's a question that I suppose uh, newlyweds, those who've been married for many years, those who've been together for many years, whatever the, the, the relationship may be, when one decides, okay, now we're going to start to to look at having a family, when is the right time? Or is there a right time? Yes, that might be the best question, Paul. This is the number one question that I get from different women that I work with or even at the Women in Chiropractic events. It might be a financial planning event or um, a, a research symposium and we always as a collective group of women come back to somebody asks the question you know and a young associate puts up their hand and says you know when is the right time to have a baby and and I can really relate to this I I've practiced for quite a few years before we started our family and I, I remember I had a situation in practice once when the CA the chiropractic assistant that was working for us uh, flowed into the office one morning and was all excited and 
shared with us that she was pregnant. And I, uh, on the inside, what I was actually really feeling was, how come you get to be pregnant and I don't? (laughs) I've got this business to run. I've got patients to manage. This isn't fair. (laughs) Did you guys talk to me before you decided to get pregnant, that sort of thing, you know? Like, did you you speak to your husband and come in and have a chat with me first, you know? Yes, yes, I understand. Right. It's really, I think it's almost quite a painful question to be asking because there is, there is no right time to do it, but my advice would be when you're first starting to get that, that I don't know whether it's the intuition or the desire that that's you know, next or coming up for you, I think that's when you need to start putting things into place. I think we know that you know, it always works out in the end and you know, different scenarios happen, falling pregnant, you know, very um, – inappropriate times or difficult times and it always works out but I think to make it as easy or as painless as possible have a little bit of control over the things that we can control so from my perspective in you know the role that I've had being aware of you know how the business is set up and how you could perhaps take yourself out of it and what it would take to bring in an associate just starting to prepare those things and having doing it in a really mindful way I think perhaps can actually make that process a bit easier. But it's it's been such it's been as I, as you mentioned earlier, Paul, in the, at the beginning, it's been my highest level of growth and love and all of that put together that um oh geez, if you're thinking about it, it's time, do it. Hey, <laughs> well, Bianca, you've actually done it. You know, you've done you've done the home practice thing. And the, these are the challenges that um, you had you had to face in order to get to that point. Are you saying that you didn't make those plans when you had the baby? One of those people who thought you were going to put the baby in the backpack and climb Mount Everest? <laughs> or was that was that you? Because I've heard of those people. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but I did. I did have set expectations. I did have expectations that. It would be easier um, on me, if that makes sense. I knew that it was going to be easy to have a baby and I knew it was going to be so demanding time-wise. I didn't take into account um, (laughs) exhaustion. Exhaustion, yes. The emotional overload of it. And I I think that looking back, I did find it quite difficult. I was very structured and and, um, controlled in the way that I ran my life and my practice was my, it was my life. So the identity of myself as a chiropractor, um, it, it sounds so dramatic, but having that taken away for some time or being altered in the way that I actually wanted to be a chiropractor, I never expected that. Yeah, that, that was a huge challenge for me. So is that why you made that shift to home practice? Yeah, yeah, it definitely is. And it's taken seven years, if I can say that. Uh, my, you know, my son's seven now, and it's only in the last six months that I've moved to a home practice. And this is this is how I've slowly made a change, and then made another change, and then another, and this is where I've got to now. And it's it's interesting sitting in the space right now. 
Um, this is the most successful I've felt in practice. So I'm enjoying it the most. Uh, I feel the most effective um, with the people that I'm working with. Uh, and I've said to my husband when he was renovating for, for us to be able to set up at home, I said, I'll be here for six months and, and really hate it. It won't be for me. Or I'll be here forever. So at the moment, it's really working. You know, a year down the line, I might feel I want to get back into a, you know, I don't know, an office of my own or a group practice. But at the moment, I'm really, I'm committed to being flexible and sticking with something that's working until it's not. It's, it's interesting, Kim, to, listening to Bianca. I can see she's very methodical, planning, and had everything sort of sorted out, and then, then sort of life changed. It's quite humorous, actually. And then, then, then everything changed. And, and I think, I mean, were you similar too, Kim, when you, with your girls, did you sort of uh, sit with your husband and go, now this is the plan, this is the, the process of what we're going to do? Were you similar in that, in that sort of planning stage? or? I was, I, I did have preconceived notions that were now I can see completely ridiculous. So one of the things that happened to us was we went to those birthing classes and we they got to the part where they showed you the epidural and talked about caesareans and all that. And we looked at each other and went, oh, well, we can leave now because we don't need to know anything about any of that. And so because I'm having a natural birth and I'm not doing any of that nonsense. And so we left. And then, of course, I get into the hospital and the, everything that could have gone wrong did go wrong. And not only did I have an epidural, but I had an emergency cesarean. And I remember arguing with the doctor at the time and saying, but women, all the women in my family can give birth. Every single one of them can give birth. I can do this. And he said to me, no, you can't. You're, you, uh, he, he said something like, um, if you, you – if you, there's plenty of people who tried to do this and 100 years ago they would have died. So get into the theatre. So right. you have all these, you know, plans and they go awry. So I think that taught me a huge lesson not to plan ahead when you're pregnant. I didn't plan ahead for the second one at all. Nothing, no plans. And you know what? And if, if we look at a trend, you know, if we look at our parents' generation or even our grandparents' generation, we see how. Our parents or grandparents did things a bit differently, didn't they? They did it. Life was, everything was a lot simpler. There wasn't, I know my parents, it wasn't an exhaustive method. Well, I don't think it was, but from their discussions, wasn't like a, let's plan our career. Let's work out our scenarios. When's the best thing to do? It was like, well, we're married. We'll have kids. It's, it's as simple as that. Yeah. And also we're going to have kids young, right? So. My mother had uh, my three other siblings young and then they uh, had me ooh, 15, 16 years later from my uh, firstborn, uh, from their firstborn. I think that was, well, I always maintain, that was the best mistake they ever made, but that's another story. I was going to say that your mother might have cried for a month or so. Yes, that's right. But then, right. of course, when she saw your beautiful face, she'd have been thrilled, I'm well, sure. Well, I'm not sure about that either, but at uh, end of the day, that's okay. <laughs> but, you know, if we look at it and compare, you know, things were obviously a lot different back then, but things... We, we, you know, sometimes do we overanalyze stuff? I don't know, you know, do we sort of over prepare? What do you think, Bianca? Do we sort of get too much into the, the mold of trying to say, well, this is the process, A is going to lead to B, it's going to lead to C, when really our parents' generation, they just sort of did it. They didn't worry about so much the finances too. They just said, you know what, it's going to work, right? We're not going to wait till our careers at this certain point, we're just going to do it and we'll work out the rest later on. You know, whereas today, it's, 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 is the thinking different, do you think, Bianca? Oh, I think definitely. I've, I've got a, an amazing best friend who's very much in my support system and we have these these conversations all the time. Um, 
how you know amazing it is that we can have our family, we can have a career, we can have you know a side project, we can do all this. Our mums didn't have to make these decisions. Our mothers just. <laughs> so it's I I do hear you when you say you know it was very much more simple, and I that's one thing that I try and keep in my day to day everything as simple as possible. You know the choices that we do after school activities are coming for me in the future. We're not there yet, but gee, I want to keep it as simple as possible for our for our family and for our day to day just to keep it simple. Whilst you're saying you're trying to keep it simple, Bianca, I also know your life is very busy, though. <laughs> so, so, you know, you've got a lot you're doing with regards, you know, from the chiropractic profession, which we're very grateful for, and your teaching work you do, and we've got a little discussion later on what you're doing uh, as a new project, which we'll come to towards a little bit later on. But um, what's your reason behind trying to, you know, keep your life simple, but in the same sense, there are, there are complexities as well and a lot of, lot of, lot of things that you do. What's... what's uh, the background behind all that? Well, uh, Paul, I, I'd really like to say that it's all for the good of the profession and from the goodness of my heart. And, but I, I have to admit, initially, my involvement, uh, particularly with the women in chiropractic uh, work, it was to reach out to women chiropractors because I was really struggling. Uh, I knew that there were women before me who had done this well and I needed to search them out and I needed to to see and get some support from those those women. So as I said earlier, you know, the, the role that I've got in that, I have got so much more back from being a support for other women because that's what they were for me. So that's that's a real driver for me now just to be able to give back and um, have a little bit more of an impact than what I can perhaps do in a, a one-on-one in the four walls of my own practice. And that's where my teaching comes in. If I can support other practitioners to improve their knowledge and take on uh, new techniques or new systems, take it back to their own families to use, but to their communities as well. That, that for me, fulfills a part of me of having a bigger impact and, you know, helping people live better lives, but, you know, ultimately. You know, it's, it's really it's what you say then. I was actually chatting to Norm Broccoli, who you know is our CEO in Victoria, and he, and he was yeah. a really interesting point today, and he and it's about actually the concept of those who contribute and those who don't contribute. And, you know, like any profession, any industry, we have we always have a balance between those. And those who don't contribute often look at it from a perspective where uh, they don't see the bigger picture behind things. You know, those who contribute come in and do stuff to try and help and actually at the end of the whole process become better people and actually realise that their energies and what they've put in, they've actually got back twentyfold. When at the start, when at the start it might have been, okay, am I going to do this? Am I going to help? Am I going to find the time outside family to do A, B, and C? Well, I will. And I'm, you know, is it going to be stressful? Well, it might be stressful, but I'm going to do it and pursue and pursue. And then after the whole exercise, you look back and you think, wow, well, actually, you know what? It's actually, I've actually been the benefactor. Even though I've helped other people, I've actually grown as a human being. And then we're just using that comparison today versus non-contributors who go, well, you know, do you want to help out in this committee? They might be, yeah, and then they pull away, oh, and I'm too busy. And it's like, oh, okay, well, look, you know, people are too busy. And sometimes in people's lives, it is a difficult time, so they've got to pull away from stuff and park it, and that's okay. But, but often when you have consistent non-contributors, 
you know, you look at them and look at their careers, and sometimes it's a it's a, it's a reflection of everything. You guys got any thoughts on that from your own experiences as well, Kim? Oh, yeah, absolutely, 100%. I see this in the workplace, actually, all the time. You see the people who are the ones that go above and beyond, and I believe and I think evidence shows that those people who go above and beyond do actually get further themselves. So they're helping others, but they're known as a contributor and they're motivated and so they get noticed. And the people who do just their job don't give any organisation the opportunity to see what they're capable of at the next level. So you get pigeonholed at your level because all you're doing is your job. You're not ever taking on anything extra or higher level. So you're not giving people the opportunity to see you in a new light. And then those people complain, I never get a promotion. But they've actually not done anything to display that they have the abilities for the next level. So it's interesting that the contributors go a lot further than the non-contributors because visually we need to be able to place people in roles before they apply for them. If you're not placed there in the mind of somebody else, you can't ever really get there. So it's interesting. Bianca, what do you think? Yeah, I, I, I see you know, the, the people that I have, have been involved with, with the different committees and the, you know, the teaching it's, it's incredible. They are often the most busiest people and they do have families and they do have outside interests as well. But what they give is just phenomenal and I wonder if they really understand the impact they have on the people around them. I know I've, you know, been a recipient of that from the women I've been around and you think, wow, how, how do they do it? But it, it obviously lights a fire within them to, to be the best version of themselves also. Absolutely. And can Bianca, I just... you actually said something before about um, that exact thing. You said women before me had done this well and I wanted to seek them out and work out what they'd done. It makes me think about whether or not those women who we perceive have done it well actually thought they did at the time or whether they too were struggling and it just appeared that they were doing well um, but to in inside them, they've got those internal struggles as well. Because people could look at me working full time in a, a corporate role and think, "Oh, you know, she's she's doing a good job." But every day, I'm I'm wondering. Well, you know, on Monday, I missed my my one of my daughter's uh, concert performances at school. You know, and, and those things are the things I feel I, where I lack and I'm not doing well. But yet people would go, oh, I could see Kim out because she's doing this well. I don't think they actually think that. So really, does work-life balance actually exist or is it a myth? Does anyone do it well? Um, I'd like to be a bit controversial here, Kim. I Balance, no, I don't think it exists. But work-life harmony, yes. Okay, okay. explain yeah. to me what that is. I, I don't think... I, I think of balance as being quite static, that I've got this and this and they're balancing and I've got it together. And that's just not my experience at all. <laughs> but I do I do feel that I get close to a real work-life harmony and I feel I'm in that space at the moment. But it's that ebb and the flow. As you said, you know, you're missing one thing with the kids but then something else and then it's picked up in another way. And that, that flow of... Um, Maybe, maybe the the scales are just slightly in fluctuation for balance. I think that's a nice way for me to think about it, and and it's feedback that gets me back onto that alignment or back to that centre again. That yet yeah, this isn't feeling great. Listen to the feedback, fix something, change something. Okay, this is feeling good again. We'll go with this. 
So it swings and roundabouts on a needs basis, basically. I think so. I quite like that. I actually actually really like that because sometimes you'll get it right in one part of your life and sometimes you get it right in another part of your life and, and fingers crossed it all balances out. Yes. <laughs> okay, I'll tell my 10-year-old daughter that, um, that, you know, it swings and roundabouts. So Monday was bad, but then at another time it's going to be great. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> There's always opportunities, Kim. There's always opportunities for redemption. Uh, and, you know, I'm just thinking too further about the, this concept of uh, non-contribution to con- contribution. I think in some ways we've all been maybe in, in certain situations or projects non-contributors, but then we've become contributors. Can you guys think, and I think, Bianca, you've described it yourself when you went through a process seeking uh, in the women in chiropractic situation, how that you became sort of maybe a non-contributor to then saying to being a contributor. What are some of the drivers from your personal experience, and maybe both of you, that have that have in, that you can use as examples where you've gone from non-contribution to contribution, and and what that's been involved? Because I'd love listeners to hear this to think, okay, well, if they're in a situation where they want to move forward, what what can be some of the drivers? Any thoughts? Well, I I think the driver for me is that I know how. Perhaps I was really getting to rock bottom as far as um, me as a professional and a business woman, you know, running my practice. And my driver is the support that I got was so amazing and so just in time. I, I don't want any woman to either fall out of their profession or, um, Kim, even what you were speaking about before, you know, not stepping up into a higher role or, or contributing more because they feel that they can't do it because of the different factors that are around them that perhaps aren't aligned and working well. And that's what it was for me. You know, I, I didn't have things in support in place for me to do the professional roles that I wanted to do. And as soon as I got that support, and it was sometimes just as simple as seeing or hearing that other people had done it, um, that's my driver. You know, I don't want anyone to be in that position and not know there's help. So that's what I want to be for other women now to, you know, give them. It's it's not being, Kim, as you said, not being that perfect example because that's not where I function from, but it's being um, a, a cheerleader alongside them that you can do this and I'm here to do it with you. So that that's a driver for me, Paul, having yeah. just, yeah, not, not allowing – it's people to fall out of their professions or what they love to do because they don't have the support. That's and that's very enlightening. And you know, you see a lot of um, circumstances where there's tragedies and people make decisions saying that I don't want this person to go through what I've been through. And uh, I think that sort of falls under that sort of genre. What about yourself, Kim? Is there anything you can think of from your perspective of of maybe a non-contributor to becoming a contributor? Because I know for myself personally, I can jump in and say. Uh, a colleague said to me, step up. You know, a person I respect uh, chiropractically said, uh, hey, it's about time you did a bit more, mate, so stop doing what you're doing and step up. And and that was fairly confronting, but I looked at it and he looked me eyeball to eyeball and said, uh, we need you to do more. And from that uh, simple conversation... In that circumstance, we decided to do more because, uh, yeah, we were told to in a way and, 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 it agi- and it agitated my thinking. So it agitated me. It, it annoyed me what he said, 
because he was right. And that agitation, and, and, and I went home and I thought about it and I was actually quite crappy. And my wife said, you're crappy. And I said, yeah, no, I'm crappy. And I couldn't actually realise clearly why I was, but I slept on it as we often do on things and woke up and I sort of dawned on me. I was really crappy because he was 100% on the money and I needed to do more. That was an example for me from a non-contribution to a contribution sort of perspective. Anyway, about yourself, Kim, can you think of anything from your perspective? Because I think it's quite interesting. Well, I absolutely can, Paul, and it's different to both of you, my situation, because I remember about three years ago you called me up and you said, I'm starting this podcast and could you be a co-host with me? And I clearly recall saying to you, Paul, not now. And I was uh, very um, preoccupied with a number of uh, crises that were going on in my life, if you recall, at that time, and I just uh, couldn't do it. And it is unlike me to say no to things like that because I see everything as an opportunity and I always believe you get more in life when you move out of your comfort zone. So being a podcast host, very interesting thing to do, and I would have loved to have done it, but it wasn't the right time. And then a couple of years later, here I am. So moving from a non-contributor to contributor by, I think, being brave enough at the time to say no, yep. I can't do that right now. Yep. It takes That's a brave move for somebody who is intrinsically a contributor, yep. but you have to be brave enough to make those moves at the time, but then understanding, that okay, now the time is right. I think that's a, there's a lot of gold in what you said there in the sense of um, being authentic to yourself to say no because if you said yes in light of what was happening in your world at that particular time it wouldn't have worked and it would have been more pressure would have tipped over and it wouldn't have been good on all fronts uh but then when we rebooted that question to you fairly recently in the last year in a different different situation and i'm I'm really aware of that because when we said before about non-contributors sometimes it's a case of just parking it because there are circumstances and that's the best exemplar when there's stuff in your world, which means you know you you aren't capable to contribute. There are because there's so much happening that are that are center that are center stage for yourself, the family that just needs that time and allocation. You can't add layers to that. It's actually not it's not a time to contribute, and that's not a negative, right? So it, it, yeah. it, we're talking about the endemic continual, I suppose, non-contributor Correct. who will continue potentially to non-contribute for whatever reasons, and there's, there's many reasons too. Pa- people have anxiety, depression, it might be really difficult for them to, to make those little shifts, but there can be contributions in small levels. You know, it doesn't, doesn't need to be head of committees or you can be just contributing from a volunteer perspective where suddenly you become a participant in the community at a, at a small base level, which then you get great return from that, you know, yeah, by helping other people. So I think the discussion has been very interesting about all those sort of elements towards it. As we come to this part of the podcast, now let's just go towards, uh, as you know, Kim, we like to always interview our, our talent and ask about an impacting pivotal experience. So as listeners of Backcheck can go into a deeper layer to, to, to uh, ascertain what makes this person tick. So, Bianca, can you share with us something there specifically in your life that's been impacting that you'd like to share with our Backchat audience? Yeah, I'd really like to, to share this, and I think we've touched on it a little bit as, as we've gone along, but it was a real line in the sand um, 
about three, four years ago, I had a, I remember my little girl was, she wasn't one yet and my son was three and I was seeing patients part-time in the practice but running the business full-time with a business partner and had associates and had staff and I just was not looking after myself. I wasn't getting enough sleep. I was trying to do everything for everybody else and I just had nothing left and when I look back now, I, I just, I can't, I wonder why I was so hard on myself and why perhaps I had such high expectations of what I was capable of and, you know, physically capable of, mentally, emotionally. Um, and I, at that point, I decided it's all too much. I'm going to sell my practice. And, you know, my husband has, has always been really a real sounding board for me, but also a real grounding um, voice and, and just that that part of you need to do what makes you happy. So, you know, I, I had his support either way um, and I just had to stop. That was the feeling. I just had to stop. And we decided to take a holiday. We went away. I found at that time I found a really amazing mentor and I got the support I needed and I think if I hadn't, I, I would have been one of those statistics, one of those uh, female practitioners who uh, leaves practice after starting a family or doesn't return to practice again. And I think for what you just touched on then, it wasn't the realisation for me was it wasn't that I, what, I was uh, unable to run the business or unable to be a practitioner anymore. I was capable and I had the ability it's just the structure that I had set up and had been working from for 10 years. It wasn't, it didn't suit me anymore with my current family life situation. So that was, that was a real turning point. It, it, it allowed me to see that what I set up wasn't working any longer and it wasn't a fault or an inadequacy. I just needed to change it and, you know, a lot of support, a lot of courage. I was able to make those changes and you know, it wasn't for the love, the, a lack of love for what I did or for the profession. I still love that, but the overwhelm of the business and the structure that I'd set up had got too much. Really interesting. Very interesting. In the sense of all, that's uh, it's very impactful, and, and it's very courageous for you to share all that, Bianca. I mean, that's 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 very invigorating to, to share that sort of information because a lot of a lot of chiropractors and a lot of other health practitioners would have been through what you've been through and can really, yeah. really resonate with you with that sort of um, that story and that sort of occurrence. Yeah. Have, have, you, have, you, had, have you had other practitioners talk to you about that? Have you, have you, have you shared that and they've sort of described their story with that? Yeah, it's been really surprising and I think it's been a very, it's been a really powerful tool for me to be able to share that with women who are struggling to come back to work or are struggling to come back and find a role um, in a practice again. And really sometimes they don't actually want to be back at work yet and they feel they have to be or they should be. And I think being able to share my story with them, kind of they can take a breath as well and go, oh, okay, it's not just me. It's not just, you know, my situation. So, it's, so if you, you're sharing that, Bianca, what would you share as three take-home messages for our listeners on this yeah. show? If you were like, you've shared this with all these women, I think number one, don't be afraid to make a change. That's definitely number one, and keep making changes until it feels right. Until the the whole, whether it's your 
that you know the care you set up for your kids or it's the practice structure the business that you go back into keep making the change until it's right for you and it's but it may only be temporary but it's right for right now but i think that's that's a big one don't be afraid to make a change um and, and i think when you when you're coming up to that i think you need to know what's important to you really have an understanding of what it is that makes you happy, what it is that makes life, you know, really enjoyable to live. Um, and my and my third my third point that I, I really, I still struggle with every day, but um, I have got some good advice once off an, an amazing, um, amazing woman, and she said, your time with yourself just for you is like an appointment for a patient of yours. Book yourself in an appointment of just, well, nothing really, just some time for you, no chores, no catch-up on work, nothing to do but schedule it. So I really try and do that each week. I block out some, I put it in my appointment book, I block it out in my diary and that's time just for me. What do you do in that time, Bianca? Um, what did I do last? This week I went and did, I did a float. I went and did one of the um, floats. Um, What's a float? You know the float tanks? I think oh, oh, my yeah. gosh. There's a new one opened up here in Hawthorne and I've, I tried it out. It was fantastic. Um, it's literally it's going, very random. <laughs> it's, it's wonderful. <laughs> uh, or just going out for lunch, just going and sitting in a cafe and having lunch. You know, that's, oh, that's nice. Little things, little things. That's great advice. Very good, very good. Now, Bianca, you're very busy and uh, whatever you're doing, but um, I think we're going to actually ask you to be a bit busier because, Kim, as you know, uh, Kelly Holt, a good friend from New Zealand who uh, heads up the chiropractic research department there in the New Zealand College of Chiropractic, has delivered us the blow, the news, that he uh, has to pull away from back chat and focus on, uh, I think he said about 50 publications he's got to get done for the profession. So oh, I think um, he's quite soft. It's only 50, Paul. I don't know what his issue is. Well, that's right. <laughs> and at the end of the day, I, I certainly was uh, weighing up his uh, dedication to Packchat versus the profession, <laughs> but um, I, I, look, I understand the circumstances there. So Yeah, absolutely. Ca- we was, wish him the best. Absolutely, yeah, no, for sure. And uh, so hence we've, we've, we started the process of looking for a new co-host, I've taken a little bit of a break from the podcast for a few months, but then we've uh, approached Bianca and asked Bianca to uh, certainly first consider this role as co-host and then uh, have this initial podcast like we did with you, Kim, uh, as as your first sort of uh, introduction to the audience. And we're very delighted to hear that Bianca has accepted that to be our future co-host with Kim on on separate shows uh, down the track. So welcome, Bianca. Thank you, thank you. This is so much fun. I'm so looking forward to it. Well, I think oh, you'll have a great time, Bianca. I'm very pleased to have you on the team. Thank you, Kim. I think uh, you know, with your background, with with uh, what you do with your patients and uh, some of your the life skills stuff you've done as well, I think you, you, it's a great match, and uh, you will be able to certainly dig in and uh, find some really interesting people to interview. That you know, at the end of the day, we aim to bring messages. From the shows to people. That's really the, the fundamental around the background, a bit of fun in the process. But, you know, seriously send those messages and, and try and help as many people as we possibly can. 
really anyone who has a Wi-Fi around the world who can hook in, which is pretty amazing regards what we can try and do. So thank you, Bianca, for joining us. Oh, thank you. And if people want to find out a bit more about you, they can check your website website out on www.biancadobson.com.au. So for more information there. Kim, anything else to finish off with? No, just thank you very much, Bianca. I'm very excited to be working with you through Paul because we won't be often on the same podcast. Right. I'm looking forward to sharing this with you, Kim. Fantastic, guys. Rightio. Well, thank you for listening to Backchat. To stay abreast with updates with Backchat, please go to our Facebook page, www.facebook.com forward slash Backchat Podcast, or rather on the website, links of today's podcast. We're on our Backchat Podcast Facebook page. If you like this show, please leave a five-star rating on iTunes. We'll leave you one thought. Be the best at what you do, and you will grow and inspire others around you. We look forward to catching up with you on our next Backchat podcast. This has been a production of TheWellnessCouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on Facebook.com forward slash TheWellnessCouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.